market. The S&P. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we talk all things money, but the real stuff, not the conflicted mumbo-jumbo you'll get elsewhere and maybe make you think and laugh along the way. My name's Andrew Page, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Phillips. Hey, Andrew, good day, fools. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to give you uh, a take on the great mining swindle, how $270 billion went up in smoke. Poof. Also, Kogan, it's listing on the ASX. Look out, Jerry Harvey. Also, what's going on with Metcash, the wholesaler to IGA, plus our latest, what most people get wrong about investing and how you can get it right. So let's get into it. Scott, I think we can agree that $270 billion is a pretty large wedge of cash, right? It's not bad walk around money, is it? I wouldn't mind $270 billion to go and waste on, uh, well, things we shouldn't mention here. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot of money to use. That's exactly what the world's 40 largest miners have done. They've dusted that since 2010. Down the back of the catches of mining CEOs everywhere. 270 billion big ones. It's it's a massive amount of money. I'm going to break it down for you, Scott. Thanks, Andrew. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple man. Make it easy. Well, I'll, I'll try and dumb it down as best I can. Over five and a half years, that's $49 billion a year. That's almost a billion dollars a week. Just shy of $143 million a day, $6 million bucks an hour, or... About 2 million big ones by the time this podcast is over. So it's one for you, one for me. Yeah, yeah I'll take it. <laughs> what gives? What's happened? Well, as they say, Andrew, dogs bark, ducks quack, and mining companies dig holes. That shouldn't be overly surprising. But the thing is, when your job is to dig holes, you just keep on digging. You know the old joke, it's in my nature. That's what mining companies do. You dig a new hole, you buy new mining companies, you just keep on going. You keep the trucks rolling, keep the big diggers digging, and make a Big holes as big as you can. I'm pretty good at digging holes for myself and trying <laughs> are, to get out by digging even more. Not in the mining sense. That's rule number. Well, that's, so this is it. Rule number one: stop digging. Right? <laughs> right. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Yeah. Unfortunately for mining companies, when you're in a big hole, you just keep on digging mm-hmm. and see if you can reach China. Yep. Mate, here's a single sentence from the Fin Review last week, and just stick with me for a second. All right, hit me. This is Price Waterhouse Coopers. In the end, then, PwC's annual survey of big mining's global balance sheet concludes that 32% of everything that companies spent since 2010 has ended up on the cutting room floor. $1 in three has gone to zero. That's a result that speaks to the level of understatement in last week's observation by South32, the big mining company, that the mining industry has what he called a poor track record deploying capital. Is that an understatement? I think that's a pretty big, $270 billion worth of understatement right Huge. there. Yeah, now, absolutely. These guys were doing the equivalent of lighting piles of cash on fire, uh, putting pineapples through the shredder at the rate of $100,000 per minute. Well, I've just given you that quote. Another $100,000, just gone like that. Well, explain it to me. Break it down in simple terms here. So how do you lose that much money? You know, what, what were they actually doing with the cash? You know the old saying, when you're onto a good thing, stick to it? Mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of when you're onto a bad thing, stick to it anyway. Okay. And we talk about, you know, it almost sounds like we're being, we're being flippant when we're saying, you know, just keep digging, just keep digging. That's what you do. But literally, if you're, a mine, if you're an iron ore company, if you're mm-hmm. a coal company, what do you do? You dig bigger holes, you buy more iron ore mines, you find more iron ore mines, and you just keep pushing ahead. Mm. And that's exactly what happened here. So these companies bought other companies, mm-hmm. bought new mines, dug new holes, on the assumption the good times were just going to keep on going forever and ever and ever. This mining boom was never going to end. Mm. Now, guess what? Booms and bubbles, they end. That's why they're booms and bubbles. If they weren't, they'd be just called normal. Right. We knew we had a massive mining boom. Yep. Of course, accompanying that and following that was a massive mining bust. Everyone knew that except for the big miners who said, We'll just keep on investing as if nothing's going to happen. The rain won't come. The day won't end. The sun won't set. We're good for the long term. Now, again, they should have known at the time, and certainly in hindsight, they know very well, as the South 32 boss said, they were just wasting 
you know, massive, massive, massive amounts of money globally. This is a this is a big deal. The, you know, literally the entire mining industry, the top 40 companies worldwide, not just Australia, were wasting all this money chasing the rainbow that was always going to end. Is this a bit of a case, though, of things just looking clearer in hindsight? You know, everything's 2020 in hindsight. I mean, at the time, China's booming, the developing world is booming, people need more of this kind of stuff. Prices are at all-time highs. You know, if you if you don't invest and you don't develop more mines, that's just going to pass you by. There was great money to be made. The good news for you, Andrew, is you can get a job as a mining company CEO because that's exactly what it. they said as well. Yeah, well, you take the pay packet, right? Absolutely. Some of that $270 billion back. Yep. Uh, this, this was exactly the line that the mining companies pushed. And frankly... Part of it was self-interest. Part of it is just when that's what you do, that's what you believe. Mm. You, you almost have to believe that. If you're a mining CEO, you have to believe these things are going to continue because otherwise you don't have a job. Your shareholders want right. growth. You, you want to employ people. You want to dig more mines. No one likes the CEO who says, yeah, guys, look, what I'm thinking is we'll make less money next year and a bit less the mm. year after that. Mm. Everyone wants to hear the big grand plans for future world domination. They want to hear that things are going to be wonderful forever and ever. Amen. Mm. This is the problem that the mining companies fell, in, fell into. Now, what drove it? We had iron ore prices in particular, but also coal prices and other other commodities. Gold was at a record high for a period of time. Yep. We had prices that were completely unsustainable. The reason they happened is because there weren't enough mines at the time. Mm. And so it's the so old economics. So supply and demand. Right. It's the old economics 101 thing, right? right. If you've got a, a bit of something and a lot of people want it, think yep. about concert tickets, think about eBay, quite literally. That's yep. you know, auctions at Christmas time. Right. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Fish markets in Sydney and, yep. and around the country. You know, Christmas morning, you can you can pretty much charge whatever you want for a kilo of prawns because right. everyone wants them. There aren't that many prawns to have. Okay. In this case, you had a whole lot of demand coming out of China in particular and not a lot of supply. There weren't a lot of new mines coming on stream right. and they could name their price. Yeah. Now, Economics 101, what happens when there's too much demand, when there's sky high prices? more supply. Right. Every other miner said, I know what we'll do. We'll take advantage of these really high prices by digging more mines, by yeah. building more mines, by buying more mines. We'll make this bigger. Now, let's think about the day after Christmas Day. Right. We've all had our fill of prawns. Yep. The fishing boats are still out there because they've got to go and do something. Yep. All of a sudden, there's a whole lot of prawns in the fish market. No one wants them. What happens to the price? Goes it comes down. all the way back down. Right. If, you've bought a, if, if you bought a prawn trawler on the base of Christmas Day prawn prices, yep. Then you're going to expect to make a fortune forever. Yeah. But on Boxing Day and the day after that, you're going to be pretty disappointed when you bring your, your catch in and they're only offering you half the price. And that's exactly what happened here. These companies bought the equivalent of, of fishing trawlers at sky high prices, yep. only for the prices to plummet. And unfortunately, 270 billion bucks worth of wasted money is the result. Is it just a case though of paying too much for these developments and these acquisitions and the rest of it, or were they just? Is it just a bad industry, full stop, to be in? Both. Or to invest in. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely both. Right. The, you know, the, the, this is, the, you know, we talk, we talk about commodities, right? These are commodities by definition. A, yep. a ton of iron ore is a ton of iron ore. An ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. Right. Um, this, this is the way these things go. So realistically, mining operations are terrible businesses in general. Yep. And they're even worse when prices are already sky high because as sure as night follows day, prices will fall. Yep. If you want to buy miners, firstly, don't. But secondly, if you're going to, buy only when the prices are really, really, really low yep. compared to the cost of getting it out of the ground. That's very, very rare once in a cycle, but that's the only time it makes sense to buy a miner. Otherwise, you're guessing, speculating, betting on where the price of iron ore or coal or gold might go. And that really is a fool's errand. All right. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Okay, well, let's move on. Um, now, we've talked a bit about um, Kogan, the new retailer that's about to float on the ASX. It's valued at around about $170 million. 
Ruslan Kogan himself is going to be getting about 120 million or so of that. Uh, it's not bad at all for a dot com startup that's only been around for about a decade. Yeah, that's exactly right, Andrew. Think about the things we've seen recently. In fact, just walking into the studio today, I noticed a Kogan television on on the studio desk outside here. This is this is a brand that's sort of snaked its way into most aspects of our lives. It's a business that started with a couple of TVs and went on from there in a decade now to an IPO listing. It's, it really is a success story, isn't it? So Roslyn started in his parents' garage. It's, it's, it's that, old, that old chestnut. Um, and what he would do is he'd contract manufacturer, uh, manufacturers in China to build TVs, uh, very similar specs to what you get from the big brand names, mm-hmm. um, but he'd sell them online for a much cheaper price. In fact, often, Andrew, they were the same components that went into the TVs the big guys were selling. The same components and often the same manufacturers as well. Correct. Um, but just much, much cheaper. And so really the only thing that was different was the badge. It was on the, it was on the front of the the telly so it was a re- it was a winning formula things really took off and and this guy is just a born retailer and he 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 you know segued into other things gray market imports on, what's a gray market thing. so a gray market is where i would go to somewhere like i don't know vietnam and i'd buy a bunch of stuff um just just retail really really cheap ship it back to australia and sell it for a markup so this is rubbish stuff you're buying in vietnam no it's the same kind of stuff that we'd buy here but what you know I know a Colgate for an example. You can get toothpaste in Vietnam much cheaper than what you would buy it for retail here. It's the same product. It costs Colgate the same amount to 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 make, but you know it's different markets. There's different demographics. There's all of that kind of stuff, and they just charge a cheaper price. Got it. So you and it's perfectly legal. The reject shop does the same kind of thing. You buy it there, you ship it here, and you sell it for a profit. And in fact, and it's cheaper than what you would get um, elsewhere here. So it's a really, really sensible model. And he's done this, and he's done this with a bunch of things as well. You know, phones, phone plans. Now um, Kogan's into groceries as well. As I said, just a born retailer. Yes, this is this is the this is the brilliance of the Kogan model. It is literally he deconstructed the retail supply chain. You had a manufacturer in China who'd make a TV and sell it to Samsung. Samsung would then come and bring it and sell it to Harvey Norman. Harvey Norman would come and sell it to us. Kogan said, "Well, hang on, I don't need Samsung. I don't need Harvey Norman. I don't need stores." Mm. I'm literally going to join up the consumer in Australia with the with the manufacturer, the component manufacturer in China, put a little bit of a markup for me, and all of a sudden you're saving hundreds and hundreds of bucks a TV. Mm. Now I know that for a fact because I've got three Kogan TVs at home and a couple <laughs> of Kogan heaters. Right. Um, it, it, is a, it is a wonderful shopping experience. You know you're getting a quality product, and you're getting it for f- literally fractions of the price. You can pay mm. two grand for the same TV in, in Dick Smith or JB, effectively the same TV as you get from Kogan for maybe five or six hundred bucks. It is literally that much different. Now, right. frankly, the quality isn't as high you're not getting the absolute top top end spec you're not getting the 4k ultra hd tv yep. but you're getting a really really good tv that frankly if you don't see them side by side you never know yep. the tvs i've got at home are fantastic high definition televisions they just don't have the badge at the bottom and they might be the absolute cutting edge of technology they might be one generation older but i'm getting it for maybe 40 percent of the price which is a dramatic dramatic fall okay so i i get it but i mean you know if if we know it there's a chance that jerry harvey knows it there's a, there's a <laughs> he certainly that, does know Rosalind Kogan. The, the jb hi-fi know it you know the, the, the this model is not a great secret and you look at something like harvey norman i mean it's market cap the value of the company five billion dollars in fact its annual profits are larger than the entire value of kogan so we could buy kogan with one year's profits easily (laughs) and 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 you know so i i I get that he's had some some wonderful success but do i really Mm. want to invest in this when he's going up against some really serious 
gorillas here, you know, some guys with some a long, long history of experience, much bigger scale, so they can buy things cheaper, you would imagine. You know, how, how does he win in this space? It's a good question, Andrew. The future belongs to the disruptor, but the disruptor doesn't always win. So right. thinking about, you know, those people who've tried to bring new products, new categories, new concepts, even just competitive situations to the market. Think about Compass in airlines. They, mm. You know, they've had one or two goes at, at, at trying to, you know, break into the Australian airline market, went broke twice. Mm. Ausjet tried to get into airlines and went broke. That's right. Just because you're trying to disrupt, just because you're trying to innovate, doesn't mean you'll be successful. But if you manage it, and think about, say, Virgin here, for example, who broke into the market with one class of travel, super cheap fares, new planes, new staff, lower prices, lower costs. They built themselves, and helped that Ansett went broke, by the way. They built themselves yeah. into a 35 40% market share player yeah. by being disruptive and doing things differently. Right. Now, Rosalind Kogan, and people who don't know him, you might have seen him around on TV with his Kogan-branded T-shirt on. He's kind of the Jerry Harvey of his generation. I, I reckon that Jerry might not like what Ruslan's doing to his business, mm. but he's got to, in his quiet moments at home, realize some of himself in Ruslan Kogan. Well, he he's was the, a disruptor himself back in the day. Exactly the case. Yeah. So he, he's the face of the business, as was Jerry. Yep. Jerry invented effectively or, or introduced big box retailing into the country. Yep. Ruslan Kogan has invented direct supply retailing to Australia. Right. They all do the big PR thing. They cut the prices. They, bl they blame the, the, the current slow in, you know, incumbents, offered something different, offered something new. Right. Kogan is the, the 21st century version of the big box retail disruption, which is being done to exactly to Jerry what he did in the 70s mm -hmm. against the mum and dad kind of you know shops that were around before that. So there's a bit of that in it. Should they be worried? Look, yes and no. Kogan doesn't sell most of the big brands, by the way, because the big brands won't supply to them. They don't want to see their products discounted. I see. And on the flip side, you know, Jerry Harvey, JB Hi-Fi are, are, are not able to sell too much brand private label stuff because the big brands will walk away. Mm. So there's a really funny balance. But again, in there lies the opportunity, right? right? When the old guys are circling the wagons trying to protect themselves, the disruptor gets to come in and do it. Think about Barnes & Noble or Borders in bookshops compared to Amazon. Yeah. Even Walmart. Walmart said, oh, we can try and do this online thing. We won't do it too much because it'll hurt our margins. Yeah. They had probably 10 years to get it right. 20 years later, Amazon is the behemoth. Mm. It's going to be bigger than Walmart probably by a long way. Walmart's still trying to work out how it's going to get its current business online. Mm -hmm. When you're trying to protect your current business rather than trying to innovate, then you're really missing a trick. And Harvey Norman in particular, JB to a lesser extent, mm. haven't got this online solution really sorted to the same degree. Now, as you say, Kogan much smaller than, than, than Harvey Norman, but you know, a fraction, fraction of the size. And they don't have the fraction of the costs too, right? They don't have all the physical stores and all the costs and stuff that goes along with that. They've got, got a warehouse and a website, right? And they keep the prices down. They paid the staff not much, really nondescript offices. Yep. They are trying to disrupt this model. And frankly, they're a very good chance of being successful. Jerry Harvey and, Harvey and, uh, and JB aren't out of the game by any stretch, mm. but yeah, they've got to be careful. They've got to watch themselves because if they don't, Kogan will be the winner in the future. So pretty positive take on Kogan there. So before we move on, are, are you going to buy shares in the float? <laughs> Great question. No, I won't. Uh, look, share market floats, quick tangent, share market floats are great opportunities for incumbents insiders to sell out yep uh sometimes they're great business if you buy uh, you know shares in a, in a super super great you know commonwealth bank type float you make a lot of money right ask those people who bought dick smith shares how well floats get, went for them yep. the shares went to zero in a very short space of time i'll wait till they've been on the market for six to 12 months see what it does as a public company but frankly i'll be watching very very closely and if there is a retailer i'd be keen to own kogan might well be it yeah and it comes down to price too isn't it and the trouble with i mean you know the, the, the company's trying to sell itself it's trying to sell its shares a lot of hype goes with that and you pay for hype as well so it's one of those things that i think that if you miss out on the ipo it's going to be listed on the market you will have opportunities we know markets are volatile so i think the patient investor is one is going to is going to win out here keep your eyes out absolutely get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m
So speaking of retail, Scott, um, you might know the name Metcash, but I bet you know the uh, IGA sh- IGA stores. These are the guys that are competitors to the uh, the big guys, uh, Woolies and, and Coles. They also own a bunch of bottle shops, celebrations, the Bottle O, and a few hardware stores as well, Mitre 10 uh, most notably. And the company's been doing it pretty tough. I mean, just on Monday, we saw shares drop more than 12%. In just that day. And even in the longer term, it's been a pretty rough ride. We've seen earnings really on a slow decline for the last decade or so. You know, if you're invested in this five years ago, you've probably on average lost about 10% per year. That's including dividends. Um, So investors really don't like this, but should they? No. In a word, no. Okay. Investors are getting this one right, Andrew. Metcash, so yeah, no one really knows the name. Kind of a boring business. It's the wholesaler to the IGAs, the celebrations. They're like, they don't own any of those stores. Mm-hmm. They wholesale to them. Okay. And these guys are being absolutely crushed by the price competition that's going on, particularly in the grocery space. Mm. Coles and Woolies fighting each other. Aldi trying to fight them both, dropping their prices really fast, really hard. We're seeing price deflation. Woolies share price getting hit for six. And Metcash and, and its IGA franchisees mm. sitting there and kind of having to bear the brunt. They're not bigger. They haven't got a better range. They're not cheaper. They're not more convenient other than in certain circumstances. The question is, why would the consumer shop? If you're listening to this, why would you shop at IGA? The answer is either going to be because the only one in my town yep. or because it happens to be my local. Yeah. But if that's all you've got going for you, you really are in some trouble. And the real challenge for Metcash right now is how does it differentiate itself in a market where prices are falling so fast, profits are getting squeezed so hard, mm. they're already, individual franchises own one or two or maybe three stores. Mm. They're losing volume, they're losing sales, they're losing customers, and they're having to drop prices. It's a really, really bad mix. And they just don't have the the wherewithal, the, the, the solidity to stick around when Woolies, Coles and Aldi are fighting it out. I, I, I get all of that, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, right? So people are always going to need groceries. The ACCC is not going to let these guys get swallowed up by Coles and Woolies, I can't imagine, anytime soon. Um, we've just had their profit results out. They're, they're, they've returned to profitability. CEOs talking about reintroducing dividends. You call it a boring company, but sometimes as an investor, I find boring is beautiful, right? Something that just hums along, spitting out dividends year after year, provided I can get it at a cheap enough price. I'm actually, I'm actually not too discouraged by that. And shares, ostensibly, pretty cheap at the moment. Boring what, is, what would you say? Boring is beautiful. Let me let me let me remember not to go to your next dinner party, Andrew. I don't want to. I don't want to. If, if you have a boring is beautiful dinner party, I don't want to be there. No, you're exactly right. Look, you know, shares shouldn't be exciting, frankly. So you're exactly right. This is a problem, though, where for all of those promises, the, in my view, and this is not necessarily a universal view, the underlying economics of the business just really stink. Mm. They're in a business where you're being eroded over time by bigger and bigger and bigger guys. Woolies and Coles are getting bigger. Aldi's here. Costco's here. Unless you've got a reason to be, if you're the number five in terms of what you've got to offer a consumer, you're not the biggest. You haven't mm. got the biggest range. You're not the cheapest. You don't have the big bulk Costco type mm. options. Mm. You don't have the Aldi private label stuff. You don't have a full range. You don't have lots of people in the store. If Think about why, why would you actually go to an IGA store? And are you more likely to go to IGA today than you were 12 months ago or 18 months before that? If everyone else is cheaper, everyone else has got a better range, there's every reason to shop somewhere else. There's just no reason left to shop at IGA. Mm. Yes, the results are decent right now, mm. but those, they're historical results. If you look forward and say, do I really think this business is going to be bigger and better than in five years' mm. time than it is today? If the answer is, I'm not sure or no, you have no business investing in that company. And realistically, this is the challenge. Right now, Woolies and Coles are absolutely duking it out. They're, they're, they're killing each other, but they're going to kill Metcash first. And this is the real challenge. Is it going to go to zero? Maybe not. But gee, it's a tough environment to try and make money. Remembering, of course, Metcash has to share its margin between its franchisees, its stores, and the warehouse. Mm. Woolies and Coles have one margin to deal with. Aldi has one margin to deal with. Mm. Metcash has got to find enough money for it and its franchisees and try and keep customers interested. Very, very tough in a franchise business when you've got big Goliaths fighting you and dropping prices 2 and 3% a year for probably three or four years straight. Right. That's really going to hurt. Okay, I hear you. I do. Um, 
But we, we've got we've got to fess up here. You know, on the service that we were running together a little while back, we recommended this. You know, we're we're meant to be financial experts here. You know, you, you talk about all these negatives, but a lot of those negatives, in fact, all of them, I think, were really known at the time. You know, we we stuffed up, mate. We got it wrong. So what's changed? Gee, thanks. I'll, uh, I'll I'll make sure to put you on the marketing team for the Motley Fool anytime soon. No, look, yeah. Well, that, 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 that I'm not work. proud of it. I'm not well, proud of it. But it happened. We got it wrong, right? Well, so here's the thing. Yeah, we got we absolutely got it wrong. Frankly, we got out for almost what we got in for. So we got out before things got really bad. And I guess mm. the, the you know if, if, as an investor, um, what's the old John Maynard Keynes quote? Uh, you know, if the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? Yeah, it right. would have been stubborn off to say I don't care. I'm hanging in here forever. Bur- bury the head in the sand. Exactly. Yeah. Could have, yeah. It would easy to do by the way. We could have pretended everything was okay. Mm. We got out because those. It, it, your point before boring is beautiful. It had a really high dividend. Yeah. It had a nice balance sheet. It had a nice operation. It yeah, was I thought doing we had okay. a pretty good case, actually. Right, and we did. Yeah. The problem was the fundamentals became very clear over time, and we right. got out specifically because of these eroding fundamentals. Yeah. When things start to go bad, and you realize, well, this business I thought was boring but stable is actually boring but unstable. That's a really, really bad combination, particularly when you've got Goliaths like Woolies and Coles fighting each other and killing you in the process. You're Look, just the collateral damage. It's a little bit of an aside, but I, I think it's one worth making. I think when, when people come to the share market, they, they, they are attracted there because of the gains that are on offer, but often there's not a realistic expectation. I, I think no matter who you are, whether you're Warren Buffett or you know, um, Scott Phillips, Scott Phillips, you gotta make, you gotta make mistakes and it, it well, happens. Warren well, Warren, he's made some doozies. He's had things go to zero. And I think what it, the difference is, is that the, the successful investor knows that this is going to happen. He, he reacts when it does. And the fact is that when you, when you, when you cop some losses, even some really big ones, it doesn't preclude a pretty good average. And it's the average that matters. As long as you're getting a, a bit of outperformance on the market, you're doing an excellent job. And these things, I guarantee you, anyone invests in the market is going to have some real duds over time. You don't let that discourage you from investing. You deal with it. As you say, if the facts change, you change your mind. You don't anchor on your purchase price. You don't fall in love with a company. You don't bury your head in the sand. I'm not saying that investors should react every time the share price drops, because that's going to happen for some really dumb reasons a lot of the time. But when the underlying investment case changes, you get out, you dust yourself off, and you get back on the horse. And fools, that's our foolish moment of truth for today. This is the this is the lesson that most investors get wrong. You buy one share, you buy two shares, you buy three shares. One goes bad, and you think this this cape is terrible. I lose twenty yeah. percent. I'm out. I'm giving up. I'm not never doing it again. This thing's not for me. Or frankly, we've had we've had members criticise us for that same exact same thing. Of mm-hmm. you know that this company you pick like a Metcash did badly. Therefore, you guys suck. I lost money. I can't trust you. I'm going somewhere else now. Mm-hmm. Not to be too immodest about it, but our, both our services are soundly beating the market. But that, that's despite some losers, not in the absence of those losers. Those losers are going to happen to anybody. In fact, famed US fund manager Peter Lynch said you'll be right about six out of 10 times in investing if you're good. Yeah. A 60% strike rate is enough to beat the market. Mm. That's the message. Yes, there are losses. Take those losses, learn from them, do something better next time if you've made a mistake, mm. but invest anyway. The gains you make from the ones that win will far outweigh the losers if you're investing well in good quality companies, you're paying decent prices. That's what most investors get wrong. But frankly, if you get it right, you remember that, you'll do very, very, very well over the long term. And I think you've also got to have realistic expectations on time frame as well. Even the ones that you do get right, even the ones that you get really right and do really, really well, they're not just going to bolt out of the gate straight away. You know, this is this is a long-term game and it's really just a, a wash, rinse, repeat cycle of good companies, sensible prices, give them time to perform. And generally speaking, you'll do very well, even with the occasional loser. Can't ask for better than that. You absolutely can't. Listen, listen, we better wrap it up there. Scott, as always, thanks for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Fools. And until next time, full on. Full on. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.